I did it. I did I the same thing. So happy uh, about you that. Welcome. That was great. That's what we're here for. This, in the in the it's been it's been a week for you, but it's been no time for us. We're interstellar timing, and in the interim, David was was, was lamenting about how he thought. Well, now that we're done with on violence, uh, we're gonna go faster now. And this, <laughs> you naive bitch. Of course, we're not going to go faster. We're still the same. We're still what we are. It's gonna take forever. That being said, forever. yeah, but say we like to be done with this by the time Christmas rolls around. <laughs> David. There's a book to be read. Sometimes, colonialism attempts to dislocate or create diversions around the upward thrust of nationalism. Instead of organizing the sheiks and the chiefs against the revolutionaries in the towns, native committees organized the tribes and confraternities into parties. Confronted with the urban party which was beginning to embody the national will and to constitute a danger for the colonial regime, splinter groups are born and tendencies and parties which have their own origin and ethnic or regional differences spring up. It is the entire tribe which is turning itself into a political party, closely advised by the colonialist. The conference table can now be pulled out. The party which advocates unity will be drowned in the computations of the various splinter groups, while the tribal parties will oppose centralization and unity and will denounce the party of unity as a dictatorship. Later on, the same tactics will be used by the national opposition. The occupying power has made its choice from the among the two or three nationalist parties which led the struggle for liberation. The ways of choosing are well known. When a party has achieved national unanimity, unanimity, I was there, and has opposed itself on the occupying power as the sole spokesman of the nation, the colonial power starts complicated maneuverings and delays the opening of negotiations as much as it ever can. Such a delay will be used to fritter away the demands of this party or get its leaders to put certain extremist elements into the background. Now I want fritters. (laughs) I want potatoes now. If on the other hand, is there a Waffle House? I don't know. Apple fritters. There's no Apple Waffle House. God, I want. There's no Apple House. There's no Waffle. I want Waffle House so bad. I want Applebee's merged with Waffle House. I want. God damn it, that would be horrible. Oh no, it'd be the best thing ever. If, on the other hand, no party really succeeds in imposing itself, the occupying power power is content to extend privileges to the party which it considers to be the most reasonable. The nationalist parties, which have not taken part in the negotiations, engage in denunciations of the agreement reached between the other party and the occupying power. The party which takes over the reins from the colonialists, conscious of the danger with which the extremity extremely demolite Demagogical, demagogical and confused attitude of the rival party threatens it, tries to disband its competitor and to condemn it to illegality. The persecuted party has no alternative but to seek refuge in the outskirts of the towns and in the country district. It tries to rouse the people of the country against the traitors of the seaboard and the corrupt politicians of the capital. Any excuse is good enough. Religious feeling, innovations made by the new government which break from tradition, and so on. The obscurantist tendencies of the country dwellers are exploited to the full. The so-called revolutionary doctrine, in fact, rests on the retrograde, emotional, and spontaneous nature of the country districts. Here and there, it is whispered that the mountain is moving and the countryside is discontented. It is said that in a certain place, police have opened fire on the peasantry, that reinforcements have been sent out, and that the government is on the point of failure. 
falling. The parties in opposition, since they have no clear program, have no other end in view but to take the place of the governing party, and with this as their goal, they place their destiny in the hands of the obscure, spontaneous mass of the peasantry. Inversely, it sometimes happens that the opposition no longer relies for support on the country people, but rather on the progressive elements found in the trade unions of the young nation. In this case, the government calls upon the country folk to oppose the demands of the workers, which they denounce as the maneuvers of the anti-traditionalist adventurers. The facts we have established regarding the political parties are once more observed. Mutatis mutandidis on the level of the trade union. In the beginning, the trade union organizations in colonial territories are regularly local branches of the trade unions of the mother country, and their orders are the echo of the given in the mother country of those given in the mother country. Once the decisive phase of the struggle for liberation emerges, some native trade unionists will decide upon the creation of national unions. The old structure, imported from the mother country, will suffer heavy losses as the native members desert it. This creating of the new unions is a fresh element of pressure in the hands of the populations of the towns upon colonialism. We have seen that the working class in the colonies is in an embryonic state and represents that fraction of the people which will be most favored. The national unions are born out of the struggle for independence organized in the towns, and their programs is above all a political program and a nationalist program. Such a national union, which comes into being during the decisive phase of the fight for independence, is in fact the legal enlistment of conscious, dynamic nationalist elements. The mass of the country dwellers looked down upon by the political parties continue to be kept at a distance. Of course there will be an agricultural workers' union there, but its creation is simply to supply an answer to the categorical necessity to present a united front to colonialism. The trade union officials who have won their colors in the field of the union organizations of the mother country have no idea how to organize the mass of country people. They have lost all contact with the peasantry, and their primary preoccupation is to enlist dockers, metallurgists, and state-employed gas and electricity workers in their ranks. During the colonial phase, the nationalist trade union organizations constitute an impressive striking power. In the towns the trade unionists can bring to a standstill, or at any rate slow down at any given moment, the colonialist economy. Since the European settlement is often confined to the towns, the, phys- the psychological effects of the demonstrations on the settlement are considerable. There is no electricity, no gas, the dustbins are left unemptied, the dustbin being trash can, and goods rot in the quays. Who doesn't know what that means? I don't know. I I just felt like it because right. it was a British stupid word. <laughs> anyway, these little islands of the mother country, which in the towns constitute in the colonial structure, are deeply conscious of trade union action. The fortress of colonialism, which the capital represents, staggers under their blows. But the interior, the mass of country dwellers, knows nothing of this conflict. Again, Fanon is very, very worried about the split and about how colonialist rotors will easily exploit it for counter-revolution. Thus, we see that there is a lack of proportion from the national point of view between the importance of the trade unions and the rest of the nation. After independence, the workers who have joined the unions get the impression that they are living in a vacuum. The limited objective that they set themselves turns out to be, at the very moment that it is attained, extremely precarious, having regard to the immensity of the task of national reconstruction. When faced with the national middle class whose... 
Connections with the government are often closely linked. The trade union leaders discover that they can no longer limit themselves to working class agitation. Isolated by their very nature from the country people and incapable of giving directions once outside the suburbs, the unions become more and more political in their attitude. In fact, the unions become candidates for governmental power. They try by every means to corner the middle classes. They protest against the maintenance of foreign bases on the national territory. Mm -hmm. They denounce trade agreements and they oppose the national government's foreign policy. The workers now that they have their independence do not know where to go from there. For the day after independence is declared, the trade unions realize that it is their social demands, that if their social demands were to be expressed, they would scandalize the rest of the nation. For the workers are in fact the most favored section of the population and represent the most comfortably off fraction of the people. Any movement starting off to fight for the bettering of living conditions for the dockers and workmen would not only be very unpopular, but would also run the risk of provoking the hostility of the disinherited rural population. The trade unions, to whom all trade union activity is forbidden, merely mark time. Yeah, imagine there was a huge uprising, and they're speaking about... They're, 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 they're people they spoke for were homeowners. <laughs> how, how would that go? I mean, not great. No, not great. Not great. Not great. No, wait. That's my new catchphrase. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, no. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, it, it should. But that's the thing is that that, like, to you, to me, to probably most people listening to this, that disconnect comes off obvious, but that's absolutely a huge, the realtors market and the real, I mean, come on, those oh, people yeah. wield huge influence and they oh, act as if time. homeowners are some sort they, they paint homeowners as some sort of every man part of the population and not the incredibly privileged group that they are. Yeah, yeah. Or or another group that even more privileged, but along the same lines, and obviously intersperses quite a bit with homeowners. There's a Don't lot of overlap. Small owner. Yeah, a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram with the uh, with the small business. Mm. Owners. Yes. Imagine the revolution for the small business owners. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Fuck. <laughs> no. 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 That that Venn diagram is a circle. <laughs> with like one or two like weird what's that outlier out there oh wait he doesn't have a business that's weird <laughs> this unhealthy state of affairs simply shows the objective ne necessity of a social program which will appeal to the nation as a whole suddenly the unions discover that the back country too ought to be enlightened and organized but since at no time have they taken care to establish working links between mm. themselves and the mass of the peasants and since this peasantry precisely constitutes the only spontaneously revolutionary force of the country the trade unions will give proof of their inefficiency and find out for themselves the anachronistic nature of their programs yeah and that's again that's speaking to there is a group of organized people that expect a revolution to go on very organized and timed you know okay well we'll get our stuff together and eventually we'll have enough time uh, and then it'll be time for revolution revolution time guys speaking to you trots hi 
Apparently we haven't given you enough shit because you think we're not shitting on you, so let me dispel you of that myth. We don't yeah. like you. We're not fans, <laughs> trots. Get out of here. Uh, I'm joking. We're, we'll try and find middle ground, but I don't know where the fuck it is. But again, there's not going to be a perfect time for revolution. And what group is going to spontaneously revolt? It's going to be your peasant, your lumpen proletariat. Yeah. It's going to be your dispossessed group. Um because they're the ones that have nothing to lose. There is no right time for a revolution yeah. when you're light when it's feed my kid or die. There is no there is no better time for a revolution than if I don't get bread right now, my family will starve. Mm-hmm. Um and so trying to to plan out this perfect timeline while never engaging, never building ties in your community, in your with your with with the the, the groups below, above, whatever distinction, w- w- without building those the, that solidarity and showing them whose side you're on, and that you are fighting for the same goals, for the same reasons, and and to better both of your lives, they're gonna revolt. You're not gonna be ready for it, and then you're gonna try and walk in in the middle of that revolt and present yourself like the adult in the room, and no one's gonna want to fucking hear it because nobody likes the adults in the room. But, but Nathan, you could just vote for Elizabeth Khaleesi Warren. The trade union leaders steeped in working class politics, political action automatically go from there to the preparation of a coup d'etat. But here again, the backcountry is left out. I'm breaking down. I can't go forward. This you, is You bastard! No! Don't you read my part! You poison this! You bastard! So mad at you. (laughs) (sighs) The trade union leaders, steeped in working class political action, automatically go from there to the preparation of a coup d'etat. But here again, the backcountry is left out. This is the limited settling of accounts only between the national middle class and the union workers. The national middle class taking up the old tradition of colonialism makes a show of its military and police forces while the unions organize mass meetings and mobilize tens of thousands of members. The peasants, confronted with this national middle class and these workers who, after all, can eat their fill, look on, shrugging their shoulders. And they shrug their shoulders because they know very well that both sides look at them as a make-weight. The unions, the parties, or the government in a kind of immortal Machiavellian fashion all make use of the peasant masses as a blind, inert tactical force. Brute force, as it were. Kind of the same way that Europe always used the Poles. You always took your... If you had to do an invasion, you would take your Slavs and you'd just throw them at the front line. Just keep throwing them as cannon fodder. And that, that is why the Poles are the true revolutionary group in all of uh, Europe. Poland has never, ever fallen to fascist. Kick you in the head. They are, they are our true, Smack true, the true proletarian I'm leaders. I'm just straight, just, just punch you in the head. Uh, Pulaski Day Parade was today, just, in case you were yeah. curious. Yep. Okay, so anyway, on the other hand... You act like mine is anywhere similar to yours, you bastard. (laughs) In certain circumstances, the country people are going to intervene in decisive fashion, both in the struggle for national freedom and the way that the future nation marks its marks out for itself. This phenomenon takes on a fundamental importance for underdeveloped countries. This is why we propose to study it in detail. We have seen that the inside the nationalist parties, the will to break colonialism is linked with another quite different will, that of coming to a friendly agreement with it. 
Within these parties, the two processes will somehow sometimes continue side by side in the first place when the intellectual elements have carried out a prolonged analysis of the true nature of colonialism and of the international situation. They will begin to criticize their party's lack of ideology and the poverty of its tactics and strategy. They begin to question their leaders ceaselessly on crucial points. What is nationalism? What sense do you give to this word? What is its meaning? Independence for what? What is Medicare for all? What are you talking about, Medicare, if somebody wants it? Sometimes maybe a little bit if you're... What is accessibility to this? This is very confusing. Why do you keep using the right word but for the wrong reason? I was just going to stop my boss from being a piece of shit to me. What happens if I lose my home? Mm, These are all good questions. They ask these questions and at the same time require that the problems of methodology should be vigorously tackled. They are ready to suggest that electoral resources should be supplemented by all other means. After the first skirmishes, the official leaders speedily dispose of this effervescence, which they are quick to label as childishness. That absolutely seems how Nancy Pelosi would do with something. She would take something that she sees as effervescent and she would dispose of it as childish. But since these demands are not simply effervescence, nor the sign of immaturity, the revolutionary elements which subscribe to them will rapidly be isolated. The official leaders, draped in their years of experience, will piteously disown these adventurers and anarchists. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it violently. Don't do Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, again, a big part of why... And we go back to this. I hate that we're going back to the Russian Revolution so much in Fanon, but it's a good example because, and you know, Mao and stuff, they they spoke directly to the peasants better. Clearly, Fanon is speaking a lot directly about the peasants' uprising, and Lenin spoke to the peasants, but it wasn't the same. But when you get to the beginning of that war, the SRs, you know, they, they had the peasants in hand because they were the voice of the peasants. And it's not like... It's not like the peasants like formally got together and went Bolshevik. The Bolsheviks were supported by October because when the peasants were taking their shit back, the SRs were going, oh my God, not like that. That's too violent. That's not good. Why are they all Paula Dean? Why are Why is every SR not, oh, why are they all Paula Dean? I need to know why you envision in your head canon and your weird Rule 34 fan fiction why every member of the Socialist Revolutionaries is Paula J. Dean, diabetic cooker. <laughs> I don't know because it happened in my head. That okay. Way. Okay. Okay. So anyway, but but they turned to the Bolsheviks because Lenin was going, no, fuck no, keep doing that. That's the right thing. Do that. We support that. Lenin and, is your in your head is your own voice. Lenin is just your natural yeah. voice. But the SRs are, and to be clear, have always been Paula Dean. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> because, because... Paula Deen gets the SRs, and 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 I get Lenin, but I don't get the SRs. That's what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure Paula Paula is very very uh, empathetic to the uh, socialist revolutionaries. There's right SRs. In, uh, yeah, I'm sure she's still to the right of them by quite a few <laughs> leagues. Paula Deen is a czarist, and you know it. The party, the party machine. Don't you try and do that. 
the party machine shows itself opposed to any innovation. The revolutionary minority finds itself alone. Confronted with the leaders who are terrified and worried by the idea that they could be swept away by a maelstrom whose nature, force, or direction they cannot even imagine. The second process concerns the main leaders or their seconds in command who were marked out for the police repression under the colonialists. It must be emphasized that these men have come to the head of the party by their untiring work, their spirit of sacrifice, and a most exemplary patriotism. Such men who have worked their way up from the bottom are often unskilled workers, seasonal laborers, or even sometimes chronically unemployed. For them, the fact of militantly Militating. Militating. That's not a real word. In a national party is not simply taking part in politics. It is choosing the only means whereby they can pass from the status of an animal to that of a human being. Such men, hampered by the excessive legalism of the party, will show within the limits of their activities for which they are responsible a spirit of initiative courage and a sense of the importance of the struggle which marked them out almost automatically as targets for colonialist repression arrested condemned tortured finally amnestied they use their time in prison to clarify their ideas and strengthen their determination through hunger strikes and the violent brotherhood of the prisons quick climb they live on hoping for their freedom, looking on it as an opportunity to start an armed struggle, but at one and the same time, outside the prison walls, colonialism attacked from all sides is making advances to the nationalist moderates. Yes, is the best example of this Nelson Mandela? Sure. Is the example I'm going to use because it is my favorite Fred Hampton? Of course it is. <laughs> that is just yelling Fred Hampton at the top of your fucking lungs. Um right. Just someone outside the system who was not part of the system, who was never intended to be part of the system, who who figured it out, got oppressed, learned from that, um, and then came out the other side. And, uh, uh, well, Fanon was writing, apparently, uh, FBI and uh, CPD, uh, just assassinations weren't a thing yet. Yeah. Hadn't gotten that far. Yeah. Didn't, didn't realize that was an option where you could just murder them in their sleep. <laughs> <sighs> Moving on. Yeah, but I mean, but, but basically that's a point, and, and you know, not to expound too much on it, but even at the beginning of that paragraph, too, there's there's plenty to expound upon. I love Fred Hampton, so goddamn much. Yeah, uh, no, I was I was talking about the the, the whole paragraph. Don't it, do that. The nationalist moderates that are getting left behind when when the actual radical revolutionaries in the nationalist parties are getting rooted out and attacked, and there's a reason. So the moderates are left behind. You can tell something about these moderates that the Fanon is leading on to is. When you come to power for a revolution, okay, if people rise up and it's not in line with you, you're worried about protecting the revolution. And so you will either incorporate those people in the, into the revolution. We're not listening to the demands of the people. We need to change course. Or you will repress it if it's counter-revolutionary. It's going to destroy the revolution for other people. When you rise up for your own power... People rising up for the same demands you have is nice, but as soon as you have those power, all of a sudden you're worried about, well, what if what if they turned on me instead, right? 
And and so you're worried about losing not the revolution, but you're worried about losing your own power. And that's why you get these people that are like, well, I denounce that violence. I don't I don't really want that. You know, there's there's a, a seedy selfishness hiding behind there. And it's it's obvious when you think about it for a few seconds. And that's kind of what Fanon's digging at. This is what the moderates are. They're they're all great and dandy and they rise all the way up. And then all of a sudden there's a leader position and they're like, oh, what, what if they do this to me? Oh, no, this 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 uprising's no good. Stalin wasn't really a man of the people. He was just an opportunist, is what you're telling me. I'm going to kick you in the That's head. That's what I heard right there. That is That's not. What I, it's just, exactly I am going what to I just. Heard. That's the only thing I heard. I'm taking out Stalin's picture right now. I'm, I'm joking. I'm sorry, guys. It's been a long day. Uh, it's Nancy Pelosi, guys. It's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, if you didn't get the, uh, the very obvious uh, illusions. And just to be clear, um, it's also AOC and Bernie. Yeah, well, if yeah. this were, if push were to come to shove, if there was an actual threat to their power, do I, do I want Bernie Sanders to win the Democratic primary and beat Donald Trump in an election in the United States in 2020? Yes, because I'm not an accelerationist. I don't, I don't believe that people should suffer so that I can see my particular vision of the revolution lived out. I would rather see my version of the revolution lived out. In whatever timeline, Bernie Sanders also exists because I think that'll probably lead to the most harm reduction for the most number of people. And at the end of my day, I'm I'm just a utilitarian man. I'm still I'm still on that uh, John. I I can't I can't get off it, man. I, that 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 freshman year philosophy shit just hits me right my right my giblets. But uh, at the end of the day, do I think that's going to change anything fundamental to the system? No, no, I don't. Um, well, and you should also be clear, too. You know, when people are attacking, say, even Bernie, like, you should attack Bernie for being the, you know, opportunist, not all that socialist, you know, 60s level Democrat, super duper uh, imperialist he is. But when people are attacking him from the right, that's a stand in for Bernie and everyone to the left of him. Yeah. And you need to call out that bullshit. Yeah. You know, when people attack. AOC um, from the right. That's that. that's a calling out of her and everyone to the left of her. Yeah, you know, and and you need to call out that bullshit. Elon Omar. Yeah, Elon Omar. Yeah, I mean when they're when they're coming after Elon Omar because you know she's Muslim or because she's she's a refugee or because yeah she's anti-Israel or because she called out uh, uh, Elliot Abrams or something like that. You know, no, I mean that that's bullshit, and you need to defend against that. But that doesn't mean you need to defend like. Elon Omar, like an existing socialist country, the no. hell no. no, no, she's she's an opportunist imperialist rotor like the rest of them. You know? But this is the same reason that we probably talk more positively about Venezuela and China than we do about Bernie and AOC. It's not because yeah. we don't recognize that Bernie and AOC are probably uh, doing. Some small amount of good. Yeah, it's still a lot of bad. Doing a lot, doing as little good in the system that they are given that they can. Whether they want to do better or not is irrelevant. They are limited in the system that they are within, and therefore you don't stand that too hard. Uh, whereas Venezuela is currently and still under attack from U.S. imperialism, mm. uh, and uh, we're, we're having to, to deal with that. And China is constantly. All day, every day at the other end of not only attacks from the right, but attacks from the left calling them not socialists. So they're in a weird position where they 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 can't win for losing because there is no satisfying yeah. both sides on that part. Um, it, It's hard. It, yeah. It's hard. And that's where, again, it, I think every once in a while you have to say the quiet part out loud. 
um, things that we assume are, you know, do I want Donald Trump to win and I want Bernie Sanders to lose because I think that gets us closer to the revolution? No, I'm not that much of a nihilist where I think that... that no. Because I know... Well, and the other side is not going to defeat itself. You know, you're going to have to seize opportunities of uprisings, and uprisings happen from oppression, but uprisings happen more from organization and education. So I'm worried about getting the organization and education, and I don't want the people that I support to die in the meantime. So I'm not going to look at the people I support and go, you know... I, I hope you starve. That way, the people that didn't die behind you are a little more revolutionary. Which is really, because that is absolutely the view of the right. There's a, oh, it, I, holy shit, we're going way back in the way back machine here. But the first episode of The Dollop, uh-huh. before they ever got good politics, way back, way back when. The first episode was on a, a fun gentleman that many of us may have forgotten named Clive and Bundy. Oh, God. Yeah, that fun guy. And uh, part of that original, not the second standoff or third, no, the original standoff that that, that got Mr. Bundy into the into the worldview, um, were when those those oath keepers or three percenters or whatever they're fucking calling themselves these days. Yeah, one of them came out and essentially said, "What guys, guys, let's put the women and children at the front." Because then, when the FBI kills everybody, it'll be the women and children, and that'll be really good PR for our movement. We are not that. No. We are not, at the end of the day, if I have an option between I'm going to get one, I could get two steps closer to the revolution, or I could get no steps closer to the revolution, but I will absolutely reduce harm to... My brothers and sisters. Well, you say one step closer to the revolution. Don't don't say that you're not. The education is more important. The education is relying on us. I I am genuinely. Are you saying the thing things outside of your control? Things outside of your control. I'm generally I I and I think it's a genuine concern. I am worried that if if this election cycle in America, Bernie Sanders were to win, I have a genuine fear that there is a lot of momentum on the left that would be neutered. Sure. And that scare that that sure. worries me because I think on the grand scope of history, we can see what that would do and that that wouldn't be good. I worry that but, Bernie would be FDR 2.0 and he would keep capitalism on a lifeline as opposed to it dying. But at the same time, I acknowledge that any movement towards not supporting Bernie would be actively hurting other people in my community. So there is a lot of cognitive dissonance let's put, in Nathan's life. Please solve it, David. Let's put it that you remember when I talked about and I meant this. I, we've already won the numbers game. I'm worried about the radicalization game. Yes. Okay. The people that it would make a difference between Bernie winning and Donald Trump winning. Okay. The overwhelming majority of those people would start to go left and get trapped in that Demsoc, you know, DSA, Chapo. maybe Chapo kind of kind of range. Maybe they go a little more and they're they're the left comms that that say, I really do want socialism, but it's never been tried in the real world and Venezuela's a dictatorship or, you know, whatever the fuck they've got up to. I mean the same thing that Bernie said on the uh, debate stage. Yeah, right, right. You know, or the or the people that are like, you know, how could you how could you not stand up for the Hong Kong people? I'm totally left and and I'm an anti imperialist, let's stop Chinese imperialism, that kind of thing. You know, most of them are gonna go there. And sure, some will get fully radicalized, right? Uh, but most of the radicalization is going to come from living conditions and 
and education, the few that more that you would radicalize that would come over from Donald Trump being elected and Bernie coming over. Not only is it not worth the human death toll, because remember, what is your end goal is fighting for the liberation and betterment of people. Yes. But even from a pure revolutionary standpoint, the revolutionaries you would gain from there would most likely be less than the revolutionaries who were already radicalized that would die. Yeah. So... Yeah. There is no two steps forward, but, you know, things are worse or no steps forward, but things are better. There's things are better or things are worse. And we have got to be militant in our education and our radicalization and our organization are driving people towards our end goal. Yeah. And that's again, this is not I, I, I put these thoughts out there because, again, I think my job here is to be the voice of people that aren't 100 percent there yet because again i am the slower of the two to get where we are do not for a second if i'm trying to get us talking i'm not trying to devil's advocate or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination but i'm just trying to have the conversations that i have in my own head with david because i I, let's let's not leave the questions unanswered because what if someone listening has exactly so so please do not pile on me on twitter thinking that i am deep down (laughs) and accelerate that's not it nathan doesn't suck guys don't worry well no i do for a whole host of reasons but not those particular (laughs) ones um you do because you're kicking my ass in fantasy i am definitely definitely doing that and uh (laughs) it's the only thing holding my life together i'm joking it's not uh but uh david would you like to read from this book that we've been reading from? Let's read from the book. So we can observe the process whereby the rupture occurs between the illegal and legal tendencies in the party. The illegal minority is made to feel that they were undesirables and are shunned by the people that matter. The legal members... I like the people that matter. I just so... The, le- the legal members of the party come to their aid with great precaution, but already there is a rift between the two tendencies. The illegalists, therefore, will get into touch with the intellectual elements whose attitude they were able to understand a few years back. And the underground party, an offshoot of the legal party, will be the result of this meeting. But the repression of these wayward elements intensifies as the legal party draws nearer to colonialism and attempts to modify it, quote-unquote, from the inside. The illegal minority thus finds itself in a historical blind alley. Boycotted by the towns, these men first settle in the outskirts of the suburbs. But the police network traps them and force them to leave the towns for good and to quit the scenes of the political action. They fall back toward the countryside and the mountains, towards the peasant people. From the beginning, the peasantry closes in around them and protects them from being pursued by the police. The militant nationalists who decides to throw in his lot with the country people instead of playing at hide-and-seek with the police in urban centers will lose nothing. The peasant's cloak will wrap him around with a gentleness and firmness that he never (laughs) suspected. These men, who are in fact exiled to the backwoods, who are cut off from from the urban background against which they had defined their ideas of the nation and of the political fight, these men in fact become maxiards, since they are obliged to move about the whole time in order to escape from the police, often at night so as not to attract attention. They will have a good reason to wander through the countryside and to get to know it. The cafes are forgotten. So are the arguments about the next elections or the spitefulness of some policemen or the other. Their ears hear the true voice of the country, and their eyes take in the great and infinite poverty of the people. They realize the pre 
precious time that has been wasted in useless commentaries upon the colonial regime. They finally come to understand that the changeover will not be a reform nor a bettering of things. They come to understand with a sort of bewilderment that will from whence henceforth never quite leave them that political action in the towns will always be powerless to modify or overthrow the colonial regime. This is very interesting because it feels like a hard left pivot from the peasants are absolutely uh, an anarchist mob of uneducated masses to what the bougie Starbucks liberals will absolutely not get you there either. And you need the peasants to get you. It's a it's a there's an interesting dialectic going on here. Told you he was more just worried about the sieve. You just had to get there. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a more interesting podcast to have that kind of, you know, give and take throughout. (laughs) We can have arguments about this later. (laughs) These men get used to talking to the peasants. They discover that the mass of the country people have never ceased to think of the problem of their liberation, except in terms of violence, in terms of taking back the land from the foreigners, in terms of national struggle and of armed insurrection. It is all very simple. These men discover a coherent people who go on living as it were, statically, but who keep their moral values and their devotion to the nation intact. They discover a people that is generous, ready to sacrifice themselves completely, (coughs) completely, (coughs) an impatient people with a stony pride. It is understandable that the meeting between these militants with the police on their track and these meddlesome masses of people who are rebels by instinct can produce an explosive mixture of unusual potentiality. The men coming from the towns learn their lessons in the hard school of the people, and at the same time, these men open up the classes for the people in military and political education. The people furbish their weapons, but in fact, the classes do not last long, for the masses come to know once again the strength of their own muscles and push the leaders on to prompt action. The armed struggle has begun. And again, this is where we're talking about the poorer, the more disenfranchised people are, the faster they get this theory. They just have to have the theory introduced. And again, the the more, I, I mean, the faster they get, and I think it's important, the faster they get any theory, yeah. anything that is put forward to them as a solution to their problem. And I think that's an interesting point that we don't we always talk about well yeah they're going to get marxism they're going to get marxism because it's the answer to their problem it is a concrete answer to why they are suffering Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we're the only i mean we uh, do we think we're the right answer to why they're suffering i mean we've got a lot of history to say we are we we do but does that mean we're the only ones presenting them with a with a possible solution to why they're suffering no do do you see right-wing populism for a fucking reason? Well, yeah, Because they provide another viable answer. Is it the right answer? No. But... how, Again, that's that's it gives them a reason to to improve. It gives them the motivation to improve their conditions and some sort of authoritative theory behind it. Well, again, that's, and that's why we have to be the ones that get there first. Yeah, well, you have to go to the masses. Not not only the ones that, that get there first, because there, there's people that can turn. It's that these people can be can be very very radical. You just you have you have to radicalize the masses, and you have to stand with the masses and and fight with the masses, and and you can't you can't let them go uneducated and hope they get it right because you're right because they could they could figure out something that seems right, or they can try to emulate you know again the try to sleep in the 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 white man's bed type thing, 
or someone else could come in and, and right wing and start telling them, you know, here, this this bullshit, you know, Democrats are this, this, this and this. Well, yeah, sure they are. But you're saying they're this, this, this and this because you want to do all those things worse. <laughs> you know, I mean, that you, you do have to get there. And that's, again, where I say it's a radicalization game. We shouldn't waste our time. I don't want to say totally waste our time because petty bourgeois people, I mean, you and me are, are, are very fairly privileged class. And, yes. And, and we certainly are, are on board with this. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's going to be a lot harder to move a single petty bourgeois person to revolutionary than huge masses of disenfranchised people. 100%. And you can trust the radicalization of the disenfranchised people, and that's who the revolution really is more for anyway. Yeah. So that's where you have to go to. It, do you have to, you know, it's where I, I get really strong when I be like, you know, fuck it, I don't care. You know, don't, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pansy around the support the troops bullshit. Like, maybe, you know, you get some troops that'll get on board, but those troops that'll get on board, they'll also want to hear fuck the troops because they don't want anybody else to become a troop. They, they'd be better off hearing hearing that language. And if they don't, then they're still clinging to something that, that they're very wrong. They haven't, they haven't thumbed that identity as much as they're trying to tell you they did. But... I'm fine with losing a couple of those guys. I'm trying to get to the masses of disenfranchised where they've seen the, the pain from the, those troops raining down in their country, you know, or they've seen the pain in those troops raining down in a country that they come from and they've been left as a poor immigrant here or a refugee here, you know, or the black communities who understand their solidarity for the country and they understand the ties between those troops and the cops that come after them. You know, yeah. that's that's what I want. I want those people radicalized and, and congealed and revolutionary. And, you know, if if some troops come over and want to fight with us and, and go full humility, great, more people, fine. Okay, yeah. you're not going to get a special, like, ooh, you're a turned troop. I'm going to put you at the top of the mountain for that extra no. knowledge or perspective. No, I don't give a shit. No. Get in the back of the line. And I don't think any you of them know. would want that. I don't think any... Yeah, any, not, if you're, not if you're showing the true Not humility. if you're actually yeah. recognize why you're coming over. No, none of them right. are going to want to put on a pedestal. No. Yeah. They're going to want to hide and pretend it wasn't a thing they did. <laughs> Right. Just right. I mean, exactly. I was, that was my first actual. I was so proud. Of, I was so, the last last night was the first hockey game we got to go to for the year, and uh, uh, I it, usually during uh, a fun event during every hockey game that in our particular region we're Blues fans. You all know who the yeah, fuck yeah, we this, are. Yeah, this it's is just, always a half hockey podcast. I mean, most of the time it's back, guys. It's back. back. It's only been like you thought you were done. No, it's back. Um. But no, the, like the universal thing, like almost like less people stand up for the national anthem than do the salute for Troop B that's at this game. There's always like one random veteran that's at a game. Yeah. They put up, they pull, drop an American flag and say, you know, praise this guy that bombed Saigon 40 years ago because he came to a hockey game. And usually I'm the only one that sits through that in the entire goddamn arena, it feels like. But uh, but last time my wife sat through the whole thing too. Oh, yeah. And we were the only two people sitting in solidarity that's, against that. And I was... I, just, just fist bump of recognition. Just all right, thank you, honey. I appreciate, I appreciate you being on board with the squad. Um, goddamn, yeah. man, it's 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 hard. I wish we had a better way to get through reading every word of this and and getting it to you in a more concise fashion. We only have twenty more pages in this chapter now. We so. only have twenty more pages in this chapter, and this is section three. Which means we're absolutely going to take the exact same amount of time that it took us to get through. Uh, we got uh, through 20 pages already. So When? We, no, I mean, of this chapter. Total? Yeah, it was like 107. Cool, and we have 20 to go? Yeah. Okay, so it's going to take us six 
fucking sections to get through chapter two the same way it took us to get through chapter one, is what you're Even saying. Even though it's 40 pages and not 100. Uh-huh. And not the most important chapter Fanon's ever written. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're so good at this. We are so goddamn bad at this. We're so good at this. Guys, you've been listening to Mark's Madness. We're a podcast. We read history. <laughs> uh, we, we just, uh, We're trying, okay? We're trying. If we, if we feel like we have to stop, it's usually because one of us doesn't understand it, and that means that we hope that someone else doesn't understand it. We're not the only idiot out there. So we hopefully the rants are not uh, uh, completely useless. And if they are, just tell us. You know where to find us. MarksMadnessPod at gmail.com or at MarksMadness on uh, Twitter. MarksMadnessPod on Twitter. Just type in MarksMadness. That's the only thing that comes up. We're easy <laughs> to find. Um, David, any, any party any party shots? Um, go Blues. Go Blues. God damn it. Love <laughs> fucking hockey being back. Uh, that being said, Bye! Bye.